Welcome to Exposing Mold, the podcast, where I, Keely Severson, Eric Johnson, and Alicia Swamy dive into all things toxic mold. In the last few episodes, we have been uncovering the medical history of chronic fatigue syndrome, and we have seen that in the late 80s, after a mysterious outbreak of a virus in Lake Tahoe, the CDC eventually came to investigate what they thought was possibly a mutated Epstein-Barr virus. But when they tested healthy controls, they found reactivated Epstein-Barr virus, even in healthy controls that weren't sick. This seems to point to a precursor that is destroying the ability to keep EBV in check and maybe pointing to lowered immunity. But this was not written into the 1988 Holmes definition of chronic fatigue syndrome. Eric, can you tell us a little bit about why this might not have been written into the definition? And we also have a new definition, the Fakuda definition, that was kind of brought in to replace the original definition. Would you care to speak on that at all, Eric? Yeah, the CDC epidemiologist, Gary Holmes and John Kaplan, came out to Tahoe to investigate the possibility that Epstein-Barr virus had mutated and become more pathogenic. The um, Epstein-Barr virus was being seen all across the country in the early 1980s, but it wasn't contagious. It was only an isolated sporadic type of disease. And the Lake Tahoe outbreak being contagious and fast and scary suggested that perhaps something else was going on. So the Epstein-Barr virus serology test confirmed that three quarters of the uh, Tahoe patients did fit the parameters of the Epstein-Barr virus syndrome. So this persuaded the CDC to send the epidemiologists out to investigate, but it was confusing because Epstein-Barr virus has a long incubation period of 40 days and can't travel from person to person through the air the way the Tahoe outbreak was doing. So Dr. Holmes demanded of Dr. Cheney that he do tests on healthy controls for a reference to find out if there was a difference between what was going on in the sick people and just the normal healthy controls of the area. Dr. Cheney did so, and to his surprise, found that the, the people that were supposedly healthy also fit the Epstein-Barr virus serology pattern of the aberrant profile that would qualify them for having the chronic Epstein-Barr virus syndrome. But they had no signs or symptoms at all. It was only later when some of these people, these so-called healthy controls, acquired a virus that they showed symptoms and would have been officially classified as having the mystery malady. So this pointed to a precursor condition that showed that the ability to keep viruses in restraint was disappearing. Not just Epstein-Barr virus, but cytomegalovirus or pyrovirus or even bacterial or fungal infection. So Dr. Holmes was confused by this and it was not part of his job. To, he was a junior epidemiologist just trying to confirm if, it was, if this was an outbreak of Epstein-Barr virus. So he reported back to the Center for Disease Control that something was going on, but he didn't know what it was. Well, there were different factions all fighting for their own theories at this time. And they came together and some blamed Epstein-Barr virus and some blamed chemicals and they, they really had no idea. So in the wake of all this confusion, the uh, Center for Disease Control convened the Holmes Committee and created a vague syndrome with a very 
rotten name as a rational basis for further investigation. Many doctors say that chronic fatigue syndrome is simply a name for all things fatigue. But if you read the definition very carefully, it explains that its purpose is to rule out anything that's in the literature that could be confused with a mystery illness. In fact, if you um, find anything at all ever in the literature, either stated or, or unstated, that could account officially for this kind of illness, a doctor is supposed to rule this out, exclude it, so that all that would be left is a possibly unknown medical entity. In fact, Dr. Holmes even wrote in the CFS definition that its purpose is to maximize chances of identifying patients with a possibly unique medical entity. Unique meaning one thing. Chronic fatigue syndrome, the Holmes definition, isn't intended to cover all things fatigue. It was to exclude all other kinds of fatigue to possibly locate uh, an unknown illness that uh, hasn't been entered into the medical literature. And if researchers had done so, if they had listened to the original chronic fatigue syndrome cohort, looked into the room, they wouldn't have found toxic mold, which at that time was not in the medical literature. And they would have been the first to discover this new syndrome of toxic mold illness. It was their failure to follow the instructions not just the instructions in the uh, Holmes definition, but the basic methods of science that prevented them from just walking into the room, finding there was a toxic mold there, putting this into the literature, and being the first ones to discover the toxic mold stachybotrys. So it was a complete breakdown of, of uh, science and medical understanding, a complete failure. So the uh, different factions, all the doctors of the world, decided to study all things fatigue. They threw the chronic fatigue syndrome name at everything they could think of. I mean, if you had fatigue from playing tiddlywinks, for Christ's sakes, they would give you a chronic fatigue syndrome diagnosis and tell you to stop playing tiddlywinks. It was absurd. You know, prototype for the illness, you had an observation that, that explained why these illnesses were happening in clusters. Yeah, my previous uh, experience with the toxic mold showed that there was something really bad about this stuff that was suppressing immune function. So I thought that by agreeing to serve as a prototype for this new syndrome, researchers would talk to me. I could lead them to the sick buildings, explain it, they would study it, and we could solve this mystery. We'll have to get back to your experiences. We won't cover that on this show, but um, for all you listeners out there, Eric has had some pretty interesting life experiences with mold. It was those experiences that he understood what was happening in Tahoe was from sick buildings. Yeah, I told this to Dr. Cheney. In fact, uh, many of us uh, in Incline Village noted that we were especially reactive to uh, sick buildings in certain areas like the uh, storm drains in town as if something had acted up and when this was reported to chronic fatigue syndrome researchers they said well that's not possible i mean you're you're trying to claim that all the buildings in town kind of lit up at the same time there's no mechanism for that so therefore we're only going to look for a virus well we were having an algal bloom at the time and the prevailing winds blow across the lake from the south. So we were downwind. So it seemed conceivable that whatever was causing the algal bloom might have also affected the mold in the sick buildings. 
or perhaps the additive effect of whatever was in the, the sick buildings, plus the toxins from the algal bloom, were too much for the immune system to handle. So it seemed to me that um, when researchers ran into the problems, a viral infection didn't account for this circumstance, and they came back to Tao to ask what was going on, I could tell them about this. They could study it and find out if this was the case. But this never happened. No researchers ever came back to study the mystery illness. Once they decided it was a virus, that was it. And all these efforts of creating chronic fatigue syndrome awareness, creating an awareness day, telling researchers to look into it, have never caused a single researcher of any kind to come back and question what happened at the origin of this syndrome. And I know this week is MECFS Awareness Day is this week, and I've heard you call it Unawareness Week <laughs> because with so many researchers and doctors either trying to make this their own entity or refusing to look at it and not going back to the beginning of the syndrome, we actually have less information and more confusion. Yeah, the uh, effort is to create miseducation, to create a lack of awareness that this evidence exists and essentially wipe out the first 10 years of chronic fatigue syndrome history and restart it with the Fakuda definition, which has no evidence. That's simply an abstraction based on the opinions of, of Strauss, Reeves, and Fakuda, who, who essentially wanted to remove the Lake Tahoe evidence to clear the way for their own pet theories. And there's proof of that in that Fakuda letter, the letter from Strauss to Fakuda saying that this whole conception of chronic fatigue syndrome and the definition would just evaporate over time. Yeah, Strauss was very clear to Fakuda, very explicit, that his goal was to evaporate the chronic fatigue syndrome as a discrete illness entity. So whereas the Holmes definition states that they're looking for one particular, possibly unique medical entity, Strauss's goal in the Fakuda definition was to completely change that into chronic fatigue syndrome being a euphemism for all things fatigue. It's a reversal of concept, which is not allowed in science. And the purpose of that in creating such a vague definition was so that different researchers and different people can take and run with it in the direction that they saw most fitting to them and their careers, correct? Well, since Strauss was the money man for the NIH in charge of allotting the uh, funding for various grants, approving grants, he would <laughs> approve grants for his own research. And this was a way of taking control of the syndrome so that whatever theories he had, he could pursue. But uh, essentially, any definition that obviates, removes, eradicates, or negates the original intent and purpose of the first name, the first definition, is disallowed by the met methods of science. People should have put a stop to it right then and there, because to create a syndrome that is an absolute reversal of its purpose is intended, obviously, to create confusion. It's disingenuous. And if you look at the Oxford definition in the UK done by uh, the British, British psychiatrists, the Holmes definition contains a, an explicit exclusion for chronic psychiatric disease. Chronic psychiatric disease must be ruled out for a chronic fatigue syndrome diagnosis. This is not equivocal. I mean, this is as clear as can be. 
in order to get a CFS diagnosis, psychiatric diseases ruled out, excluded. And yet in the UK, they created a psychosomatic version that actually is aimed at treating chronic fatigue syndrome as if it were a mental disorder. Now the Center for Disease Control had a scientific obligation to immediately step up and say, you can't do that. They never did. In fact, they invited British psychiatrists to participate in their future definitions of chronic fatigue syndrome as if they were trying to negate, get rid of the Holmes definition and turn chronic fatigue syndrome into a psychiatric disease in the United States as well. Yeah, that's kind of what we are up against. And we've, we have seen a lot of cases of people insinuating that this is in our heads. And it's unfortunate because I know, I know one person with ME, there was an article about it. He was hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital because he said he had, was having severe food reactions. And I just think that's a really dangerous line to walk down when you have a bunch of people that are sick from sick buildings and environmental, environmental illness to ever frame it as a psychiatric problem because they're already trying to shove so many drugs down our throats and already trying to ignore so much of this that if we allow ourselves to get pegged into the box of psychosomatic or depressed or anxious or traumatic lives causing this, that's a lose-lose situation for our case. Well, the uh, chronic fatigue syndrome was actually treated very seriously for the first four years. People actually, uh, at least the doctors who looked into it, they acted as if it was a serious immunological disorder. Um, those who didn't look into it, who just threw the name at anything and everything, created a lot of confusion. But there was still a societal memory of how the syndrome was created initially. And a lot of people remembered that it was a very scary outbreak that had definite evidence. But over time, as the numbers of competing definitions and distortions grew, the original meaning faded away, and people did start to accept that chronic fatigue syndrome was simply another name for all things fatigue. And as it broke down, the Center for Disease Control grew more confident that they could eradicate the Holmes definition, erase the history, and move on from it as if they had never exhibited negligence in their scientific duties. There seems to be a pattern within history with that where they discover something very scary, very alarming, and then they seem to normalize it through time. And we, we also saw that with Epstein-Barr virus. You had mentioned that it was a very scary thing. And then over time, it just became another virus that everyone gets and it's okay. Yeah, the Epstein-Barr virus had a very definite test for it. Uh, I mean, if you had the elevated EBV titers, the loss of Epstein-Barr virus nuclear antigen that keeps it in restraint, the signs and symptoms consistent with chronic active EBV, and this, if this went on for months and months instead of resolving, it was clear that you had the chronic Epstein-Barr virus disease, not syndrome, disease. The Center for Disease Control recognized this as a, a pathological mechanism, an etiology that was undeniable. And yet they took the fact that other people were falling apart from other viruses who didn't even have Epstein-Barr virus as a pretext to cast the Epstein-Barr virus syndrome into such total doubt that now people regard uh, a syndrome that was scarier, had more evidence than the Epstein-Barr virus disease as being less than the EBV syndrome ever was. So yes, if you look through history at the uh, emergence of any name, and there have been at least 100 names 
for similar illnesses to the chronic fatigue syndrome. At the time they started out, each one was taken seriously by the creator of that name, every one of them. If you look at the absolute moment, the person who applied the name, it was a serious disease and it was, it was taken quite serious by society as well. And in each time, the psychologizers, the psychiatrists, the people that try to turn this into a mental illness eventually take over and cast such doubt on a name that eventually the sufferers who once had a very serious you know, disease and, and defended the name start turning around and saying, well, I don't have that. That's just a mental disorder. And hence, pharmaceuticals like Xanax and Zoloft become the most prescribed drugs. The process, though, has been going on for much longer than the invention of antidepressants. It was done to neurasthenia. Neurasthenia was a very serious name invented by uh, New York neurologist George Beard in 1868. And it described a serious, disabling, neurocirculatory asthenia a weakness of, of the circulatory system and of the nerves. And people were actually proud to be diagnosed with this very serious illness. And over time, from the 1860s until about the early 1900s, the psychiatrists moved in on it. They called it um, Americanitis. They called it hysteria. They called it the vapors. And eventually, so many people cast doubt on it that the serious nature of neurasthenia eroded and by about 1913 they were starting to write doctors who had formerly said it was a serious disease that they would no longer diagnose somebody with neurasthenia because it was becoming accepted as a psychiatric problem. Do you think that chronic fatigue ME is, is in fact neurasthenia? Yeah, I believe that the core value is neurasthenia on steroids. And the uh, name that they had back then in the 1860s, neurocirculatory asthenia, that's a good name. <laughs> it goes straight to the heart of the matter. Maybe we should go back to that name. I know you don't like the name chronic fatigue syndrome. <laughs> well, a scientist doesn't care what the name is. The name is just a placeholder for a data set. I mean, any good scientist, somebody um, who is worthy to be called a, a researcher would know it doesn't really matter. You could call it Agent X. You could call it, you know, stupid hysterical woman disease. You could call it fat person disease. But if it represents a serious data set, then the illness is whatever that data set represents. And if you look at the core evidence of what the chronic fatigue syndrome was, was based on, the evidence that the Holmes Committee was looking at, it is a very serious and scary data set. It's so interesting that through time, this illness has evolved into three definitions, from neurasthenia to chronic fatigue syndrome to ME. It's just interesting. And so you, you actually are proving the listeners right that medical professionals, scientists like to just change these definitions. Yep. Every time they run into problems, it's, it's a power trip. They create a new name, so they arrogate the control unto themselves. It's like, okay, where do I go to learn about uh, Epstein virus or chronic fatigue syndrome? Do I go to the original coiners of the name? No, I go to the people who created the new name. And thus throwing out everything that was built up from that original name. 
right? That like all that data, all that information is not even looked at. It's not even taken into, into consideration. Yeah, if you look at the chronic Epstein-Barr virus syndrome of the 1980s, the mid-1985, 1980, you know, if doctors had gone back to the original coiners of the EBV syndrome, they would have learned about the aberrant EBV profile, diagnosed patients on that basis, and the EBV syndrome would have been a serious disease that could easily be studied. But they allowed it to break down, and they turned EBV syndrome into a vague fatigue illness where people had EBV because they didn't take care of themselves. They must have depressed their own immune system by cigarette smoking, drugs, or poor diet. And the, the serious nature of the EBV syndrome completely fell apart. And in fact, when Dr. Cheney asked me to serve as a prototype for the new syndrome, and we didn't know what the name was going to be, he explained to me that its purpose was to put the evidence back into the EBV syndrome to get the CDC to take it seriously. And that was his goal in finding the immune abnormalities by the cell flow cytometry, the natural killer cell studies, the um, RNA-L um, measurements, and the MRI studies, all the various things that they assembled to present to the Holmes Committee. The whole purpose of that was to get them to take it seriously. And somehow the CDC managed to dumb down the syndrome into being less, less than the core value of its predecessor. So Eric, I have a question for you. When this syndrome started coming up, it seemed to only be affecting women. Yeah, that's a fabulous part of the uh, chronic fatigue syndrome history. If you look at the videos, the documentaries where they show patients, they are perfectly normal people. They aren't, um, you know, overweight, middle-aged white women with, with money. It's just regular people of all ages, men and women. I mean, you can see the patients in the newspapers, in the documentary. There is no such demographic. How did that come about? Well, the epidemic at Lake Tahoe was very scary. And the Chamber of Commerce had a need to trivialize it to try to bring tourists back to Lake Tahoe. They were so scared that businesses were going bankrupt. And it all started with the um, chairman of the visitor, Visitors Bureau, Don Steinmeier, who decided that the best way to do this was to portray the epidemic as being hysterical women. And he manufactured this rumor for the newspapers, and he knew it wasn't true. In fact, he even wrote in letters to the editor what he was doing and why he was doing it. But this rumor got started, and doctors picked up on it. And I guess doctors do apparently have a misogynist character to them, because rather than check out this rumor to see if it was true, they perpetuated the myth and kept it rolling. Well, there was a stigma being deliberately attached to the Lake Tahoe mystery malady, and when it became chronic fatigue syndrome, that stigma carried on. And when men went to doctors, they would be offered a choice. They would, doctors would actually warn them, you don't want to be labeled with this thing. So get out of here. Go, go try to get a cancer label or a pseudo-MS label or anything but this. You don't want to be saddled with this stupid name. So the men would bail out and leave. And the women, of course, no, they just slap it right on them. How can that help result in a preponderance of women being diagnosed when doctors are playing that game? And then when fibromyalgia came along later, 
even though fibromyalgia has a differential diagnosis from chronic fatigue syndrome by the tender points, the trigger points, doctors did the same thing. They go, chronic fatigue syndrome is a stigmatizing name. How would you like to be called fibromyalgia instead? So this uh, entire exercise has completely unveiled the weaknesses of the medical mind, the lack of science. They're willing to, to judge a book by its cover and the way they bias and skew science by their own prejudice. Well, thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in today. Again, it's, it's always very informative and eye-opening with Eric. I just feel like he's just a big history book. Every time I speak with him or every time we record, it's always some new piece of information that just blows my mind. So thank you so much, Eric. On our next episode, we are going to talk about mold avoidance. We will talk about Eric's history and past with mold, and we will also clear up some misconceptions about mold avoidance. Since there's a lot of weird things circulating around, um, people are saying, you need to throw your things away. No, you don't. We're going to go through every misconception and we will go ahead and hear from the number one mold avoider, Eric. He will let us know exactly what mold avoidance looks like. So thank you again. Please, please like, share, comment, and donate for the cause. Um, Again, for all those who have donated, we are so grateful for you and so appreciative. So thank you very much, guys, and we will see you next week.